Well, all righty. Good morning again. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. It's about three-fourths of the way through the Bible. Ephesians chapter 3. So we, we're taking a little break in Romans as we start 2022. And we're just going to kind of talk about uh, like a hope that we have for Sunbury City Church and, and for ourselves for 2022. And I think Ephesians 3 can be really a beautiful text for us this morning. But before we get into Ephesians chapter 3, I want us to actually start in Ezekiel 37. You don't have to flip there, but Ezekiel 37. What we see happen in Ezekiel 37 is that God will come to his prophet Ezekiel. And he will give Ezekiel a vision. As Ezekiel's in this vision, he notices that he's been placed in a valley. Now, as Ezekiel looks around this valley, he doesn't see kids running around or he doesn't see a baker baking bread or men farming. He doesn't see a valley that's full of vibrant life. But to Ezekiel's observations, he actually sees a valley of death. God will take his prophet Ezekiel and bring him back and forth through this valley. And the only thing Ezekiel can see is just dry bones. Just bones everywhere. Now, as we hear about this vision of Ezekiel just seeing bones everywhere in this valley, it's like, I can't even imagine that. What, what, that, would, what that would even look like? The reality is, church, it doesn't take much for us to see dry bones here today. Turn on the news, flip through social media, and, and it really quickly you begin to see the, the poverty, oppression, and, and persecution, and just, just death, brokenness. And we can even like pull it down a little bit. We don't even have to think big, like... Like even in our own circle with our families and, and friends and our coworkers, like, like we look at them and we're like, there's just no hope in you. Like, brother, where's your joy? And maybe if we're just honest for a split second, maybe we feel that ourselves, that we're just a pile of dry, dead bones. That our desire to know God or to seek God has just been quenched. It's gone. You would think as Ezekiel standing in this valley of just dry bones, he would ask God, like, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with all these dry bones? But you know what's interesting about Ezekiel 37? It's actually God who will ask Ezekiel. God will go to his prophet and say, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Now, this is a rhetorical question for God. If anyone knows the answer to that question, it's going to be God. Because we're talking about the God who took the nothingness of, of life in itself and made everything. He took nothing and put the birds in the sky. He took nothing and put uh, animals on the ground. He took the, the nothing and put fish in the sea. And he took the very dust of ground. To make man. So God knew that these bones could live. 
He tells his prophet Ezekiel to prophesize over these bones. And notice what God will do with these lifeless bones. God says, I will breathe into these slain that they may live. I will put my spirit in you. I will settle you in your own land. And God will tell us why. Why is he going to do this? So that, and I just love this, then you, my people, will know that I am Lord. So before we get in our passage this morning, I want to ask a question. Do you believe that God can take dead bones and give them life? A heart that is just dust and breathe life back in it once again. Because what we're going to see in our passage this morning, church, is that God has been up to something. He's been up to this grand plan, this mystery, and it's finally been revealed to us. And this plan is that he's been taking lifeless and dead bones and giving them life once again. So the main point that we'll see this morning will be this. God is using his church to push back the kingdom of darkness. God is using his church to push back the kingdom of darkness. So if you have found Ephesians chapter 3, if you are willing and able, I just want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we read God's word. Uh, And we stand when we read God's word so that we can just focus and give its reverence and respect for this is the word of the Lord. And we're going to read to verse 13. So chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generation, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Church, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say... Praise be to God. You may be seated. So why Ephesians 3? As we see and as we think about 2022, I think it would be helpful to maybe have a clear purpose. And not just for 2022, 
but for really the rest of our lives. And that purpose is that you and I have been invited in to be part of God's mission. And my hope this morning as we think about God's mission is that we think about it with this big picture. That, that God is doing something so much more than just here in our little old valley. But yet it stretches beyond Pennsylvania. That God's mission stretches beyond our country. It stretches to the corners of the earth and even into the cosmos. See church, God is a missions God. And he receives glory when we are on mission. So that doesn't mean we pack up our bags and now we move somewhere, but that means we're on mission in our neighborhood. We're on mission at school. We're on mission in our home or at work. But when we are on God's mission, he is receiving glory. But it goes right back to the heart of Ezekiel 37. Do you believe that God can take dry bones, dead bones, and give them life? Because what we will see in our passage this morning is that God is going to use his church, the people of God, to continue to bring him glory as people come into this new kingdom of life. But first, let's, let's look at this. Let's, what is the church? So first point this morning, God's eternal church. God's eternal church. So at the beginning of creation, something beautiful happens. Right? God creates man and woman. And when God creates Adam and Eve, what he does, he's creating a people for himself. And what's unique about Adam and Eve, man and woman, that's different than everything else, is that man and woman has now been created in the very likeness of God. So, so this has been designed, God, to have a people for himself to continue to reveal his glory, to be like him. It takes three whole chapters for man mess up. Because what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that the, the serpent will slither into the garden. He will convince Adam and Eve to disobey God. To reject God. To, to stop believing in God's truth. Now in that moment, we can overlook something that's quite massive. See, in that moment, God doesn't reject Adam and Eve. Right? Like in that moment, God could have just like pressed the restart button and said like, all right, I'm going to just try this one more time. But God decides to give a promise instead. Before Adam and Eve are now kicked out of the Garden of Eden, he gives them a promise of a Savior. In Genesis 3.15, we see God promise a Savior who will come and once and for all defeat the serpent. So God decides to give a promise of a redeemer so from from that moment on from the fall of man genesis three fifteen, god's been up to a plan a plan of redeeming a sinner back into a, a relationship with god nobody knows how this is going to happen like how how is this going to unfold and it's only god in his infinite wisdom that will be revealed it's only god who will know how to make this people for himself once again. But there's still a sense of mystery around it from Genesis 3. Like we get glimpses of it through the Bible. Like, like is, 
is Moses the Messiah? Is, is David the Messiah? Like, is he the one that's gonna come save us? Like we get glimpses of this mystery, but it's not until finally now. And Paul really reminds us of this mystery. Look at verses four and five. It says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight, and here it is, into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul is actually going to give a title to this mystery. It's the mystery of Christ. So there's been this this secret from the beginning of time, but now it's no longer a secret. It's been revealed. And at the center of this mystery is Christ. Now, what specifically is this mystery? We know it pertains to Christ, but what Paul will tell us, look at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And there it is, church. Finally, after, after all these years of how is God finally going to redeem a people and make a people for himself where all people, Jews and Gentiles, where all people can now be a part of God's people, it is through Jesus Christ and the gospel. So, so the mystery of Christ is this. Not only in Christ's death did he purchase eternal life for us, but also Christ purchased a new people for himself. He purchased his bride. He formed a new people. And that people is called the church. And Paul tells us how this really happens. It's through the gospel. There's something about Christ. There's something about the gospel that gives us eternal life, that renews our relationship with God, that was broken all the way back in Genesis 3 to the point of now being a new people with God. And I think Paul, in the simplest ways, in 1 Corinthians 15.3, summarizes the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15.3, that's the gospel that Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose. So for whoever believes in that gospel and puts their faith in that gospel, now has eternal life, but also is part of this new family, this new people that God has established. And the beautiful truth that's revealed by this mystery that's now been revealed by the gospel is that it doesn't matter who you are, what background you're from, how successful or not successful you are, it doesn't matter what you did in the past or even what you'll do in the future, this gospel is for you. Praise the Lord. See, Sunbury City Church is just a small piece to the bigger picture. The bigger picture that God has been making a people for himself and that has, God has established it through Jesus Christ. That God's people now is stretching beyond or through this world and even beyond. So let's just simply state it. The church is not this brick and mortar building. These, these bricks won't go on mission. These pews won't go on missions. But if you are a follower of Christ, you are the church and you are now called to go on mission. You are a people of God. 
So what we see so far in our text is that since the beginning of time, God has been up to something, making a people for himself. And now it's come full circle, and the way that God is doing that is through Jesus Christ. But God's not like, all right, I have my people, I'm good to go. He's actually going to give a purpose for his church, for his people. So let's look at that, our second point this morning. God's eternal purpose. God's eternal purpose. On January 8th, 1956, there was a 28-year-old named Jim Elliott. And you might have heard of Jim Elliott before. But the Lord called him and four others to go minister to the Hurani people. And quickly, once they land to begin minister to the Hurani people, what we see is each one of them will be martyred for their faith. They'll be put to death for sharing the gospel. Now, if, if Jim Elliot's story ended there, it'd be really hard to find, like, all right, God, like, why? Like, why did you just tell a 28-year-old who was just full of zeal, full of life, to just go just so he can die? Like, what's the purpose to that? Let's actually use Jim Elliot's own words. Jim Elliot says in his journal, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What Jim Elliot is saying is that he knew that his life was not for his to keep. He knew that his life was meant for others so that others may know about Jesus. What happens next in the story of Jim Elliot is only something that God could explain. It's only something that God could have done. And it's actually about his wife, Elizabeth. I can only imagine the, 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 the suffering and the grief that his wife, who's now a widow, was feeling. Like her husband's now gone. But what God will do for Elizabeth will call her to go back to the same people who killed her husband to minister there and to love them and to serve them and to share the gospel with them. And by God's grace, the Harani people had completely transformed where this entire tribe is now followers and professors of faith and professors of Jesus Christ. They've all accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, so when we think about when we're in those seasons of suffering or seasons of difficulty and we just process and like, God, what is the, the purpose of it all? There is this reality that God is still working. That God is still orchestrating something. Paul gets a little glimpse of that. Just look at the first verse. For this reason, I, Paul, look, a prisoner a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. We have this brother who is writing this letter to this church, suffering on behalf of other people so that they may know Jesus. It's hard to find a unique sense of purpose in our suffering, but when we begin to tie the gospel to our sufferings, something beautiful happens. So you may be in that season now. Like, what is the purpose of this? And even if you're not, the way that we can begin to like just really process and really hone in on the gospels is we need, we need to start stretching our minds a little bit. 
Because if we are not careful, we can spend every day of our life without realizing the true realities that's happening around us. See, Paul realized that God's glory, it didn't stop once it hits the ozone of the, of the world or the atmosphere of the earth. But yet God's glory stretches within the cosmos. It, it is continuing to move uh, throughout all of time itself. So the magnitude of following Jesus, it's not that we just bring God glory here on this earth, but yet to the things we don't even know and to the things we can't even fathom. Paul had that perspective. So hold that thought. We'll get to that in a minute. What, what, what does that even mean? But look at verse 10, because Paul's now going to give a clear purpose for his church, right? To, to the people that he has redeemed. And here, here's the purpose of, of Sunbury City Church. Those who are followers, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, now church, this is massive. God has revealed our purpose and that purpose is to display the manifold wisdom of God. Now it's like, what on earth is that? To really drive this, this deeper, we need to understand that word manifold. We don't really say manifold often. Like what, what does Paul mean when he says manifold? Well, right here, what Paul is doing, that word manifold, he's using to describe a cloak. A cloak that had beautiful colors and beautiful patterns. That when you saw this cloak, you were just in awe of just how beautiful it was and how rich it was. So essentially what God is doing is, is describing God's wisdom as this beautiful, rich, and colorful thing. That, that it should make us just in awe of just how wise God is. So the purpose of the church is to display the beautiful and colorful and rich wisdom of God. So, so let's connect the dots because that's still a little bit abstract. So God had made a new people through this mystery that's now been revealed through Jesus Christ. He's established this people through the church and has now given the purpose of his church to display his wisdom and glory to all the ends of the earth. But notice something interesting. Notice who is observing this wisdom. I just love this. Look at the second half of verse 10. To display the manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, our, our hope here at Sunbury City Church, the hope of the Sealands Grove Church plant, and as we minister the gospel here on this earth, is that as people look at this church, that they will see God as good and God as love and God as glorious. But Paul's now taking it one step further to the people in the heavenly places. Now, who on earth do you think that is? Paul's talking about angels. He's talking about the good angels who have continued to worship God. And he's also talking about the angels who have rebelled against him. So not only are we supposed to display God's glory here on earth, but now we have a cosmic impact to display the glory of our God to the angels. To display God's great and beautiful wisdom. 
See, at the beginning of time, there's always been a battle of wisdom. At the beginning of time, Satan thought he was being wise to rebel against God. Satan thought he was being wise as he entered into the garden to cause Adam and Eve to fall. Satan thought he was being wise when he tempted Jesus before his ministry to tempt Jesus to bow down before him. Satan thought he was being wise to convince hearts to shout crucify Jesus. Satan thought he was being wise as this The Roman soldiers were putting the nails through his wrists and through his feet. And finally, Satan thought he was victorious as Jesus laid lifeless like a pile of dry, dead bones in a borrowed tomb. He thought he was being wise all through history. But in the midst of that, God has been up to a different story. God's story that he knew the ending to. The story of the Son of God leaving the riches and glory of heaven. The story of the Savior who would humble himself not to become a king but yet a servant. The story of his Son coming to earth to heal the sick, heal the blind, feed the hungry, care for the oppressed. The story of the Son to hang upon the cursed tree for the sins of mankind. But the story didn't end there. Because we know through the mystery of the gospel, three days later, Christ will victoriously defeat death. The one thing Satan has been holding on to as a tool is now gone. Death has no authority over Christ. So God has perfectly been orchestrating everything through the entire course of history so that he can redeem his people. There's never been a moment where God has lost grip over his creation. So when you feel like your life is just falling apart and that you have lost all sense of purpose and direction, you have no way, you don't know what north or south or east or west is, you're just all spinned around, just know that God is not going to all of a sudden stop controlling everything. He is still perfectly working all things out for his good, church. And you can rest in that hope. Not only are you made new in Christ and that you've been brought into a new people, listen to this new identity, this new relationship you have with God. Look at verses 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we, which we is the church, the church may have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. I mean, how is it now that there used to be children of wrath who could offer nothing? All they were were just messy, broken sinners. And now all of a sudden can have confidence and boldness to go to the throne of God. It makes no sense. On paper, it makes no sense that we should ever have the opportunity to go with boldness and confidence to our heavenly father. And as the angels of the, of the cosmos looked, all they can respond is just be in awe of God saving a wretched sinner and making them new again. 
their only response is that to be in awe as he displayed his beautiful wisdom of saving his people. So church, what this does, it gives a completely different meaning about going to the grocery store. Because not only may you have an impact on that grocery clerk to just give them the hope of the gospel, but yet through you sharing the hope of gospel, it's giving a cosmic impact as the angels look at God being glorified. This gives a whole new meaning about going to work that like, as you engage that maybe annoying co-worker with the gospel that they may be saved, angels will look and see God being glorified. Husbands, this gives a completely different meaning about shepherding your wife. Because as you lay down your wants and as you lay down your desires for your wife and as you are willing to sacrifice your life for her, to point her to Christ, angels are looking at you like, why? Just as how Christ sacrificed himself for his bride, bringing greater glory and worship to him. The reality is the angels, those who are in the heavenly places, is looking at God's church so that God may continue to be glorified. I I just love what John Piper says. Missions exist so that angels will stand in awe of God. Missions exist so that angels will stand in awe of God. How beautiful is that? And Peter really highlights this reality in 1 Peter 1.12. It says, those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things unto which angels long to look. Angels long to look on, at you being on mission glorifying God. They long to look at God's church magnifying his holy and, 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 and glorious name. They long to look to see the manifold wisdom of God displayed. The beautiful wisdom of God. Because again, it, it should make no sense that a wretched sinner can now have a relationship with a holy God, but now it does through the mystery that's been revealed through the gospel question that we have to ask ourselves is has the gospel taken root in your soul has the gospel taken root in your soul deep enough where not only you see the global impact that that God has invited you into but now a cosmic impact that you can make where even you are aiding the angels to continue to worship God as they look at the Holy Spirit working within you So, so far this morning, we, we've just been creating this framework, right? Like, like God has redeemed a people for himself that's been done through the gospel. He's given the purpose of his people to display the manifold wisdom of God, not just here on this earth, but yet now to the cosmos. And how do we do all that? Look, look at, our, well, our third point, God's eternal mission. God's eternal mission. And to be honest, church, God has done more than we can ever think or even put into words for his church. But the truth is, is that God is still on mission. He's still on mission of redeeming his people. 
So I think a fair question to ask is, well, who should be on mission then? You, you think it makes sense that God will say, all right, whoever is the strongest, the fastest, the bravest, the most courageous people, like, I need those guys. I need those girls. <laughs> That's not God. What God does, he's taking the broken clay pots. He's taking the broken people who can't offer anything. People who feel as if they have no significance, but yet now he's given them an internal value. See, God is not limited. He's not limited on people's giftings. He's not limited on people's talented or talents. He's not limited on your brokenness, but yet God uses messy people for extraordinary and glorious things. He's inviting you in with your mess to continue to pursue him on mission. So what that means is that the stay-at-home mom has a role in the mission of God. That means the student who just has the C average can play a role in the mission of God. The husband who's just grinding out the nine to five, you can have a global and cosmic impact for the mission of God. He's just looking for people who are just broken as the next person, willing to just give it for him. And Paul really understands this truth. Look at verses seven and eight with me. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And and here it is. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Like why on earth is Paul saying like, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole? I think there's two reasons. This was a man who used to kill Christians and persecute God's church. And now he's considered, and he is, the best church planner who has ever been. God used a killer of Christians for his glory. And then secondly, that, remind, that can remind you and it can remind me that no matter who you are, what you have done, that God can still use you. He can still use you on mission. So don't ever allow Satan or even yourself to convince you that God cannot use you. Because if you are a follower of Christ this morning, God has invited you into this global and cosmic mission of glorifying and displaying this manifold wisdom. But what does that even look like to be on the mission of God? What does it look like to be on mission here in Sunbury and in in Sealands Grove and just throughout our valley in the world? Well, Paul will actually tell us that as well. Verse 8. One way that we can be on mission is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. One way that we're on mission is simply just tell others about Jesus. And specifically, did you see the riches of Christ? There's a myriad of riches, thousands, and we can spend all of 2022 learning these riches. But I just want to share a few. There's a treasure of Christ that he will forgive sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Another treasure of Christ is that he will make you holy. 1 Peter 1, 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Another treasure of Christ. God gives you his Holy Spirit so that you can have freedom. 
freedom from guilt, freedom from sin. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of my favorites, that Christ will make all things new for his bride. Revelations 21.5, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Preach the riches of Christ, church. Tell others about these promises. Be on mission. And one other way that Paul displays that we can just practically be on mission is verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Simply live like Christ. As other people look at you, allow them to see Christ through you. That means just to serve and to love those who are around you and to care for those who are beside you. To be patient to the difficult coworker, to, to help the single mom out with the lawn, to help the elderly lady with groceries. Just be a light of Christ where you are at. Preach Christ's riches and be Christ's light. My hope is that you'll see being, pri- being part of Christ's greater mission is a joyful thing. A, f- a couple weeks ago, Mandy and I had the opportunity to go back home in South Carolina for about eight, nine, ten days. And it was really refreshing. Uh, but before we went on, on vacation, it was two days before. And it was one of those days where just everything wrong happened. Like... Have you ever had those days where you got like maybe five phone calls and three texts and they're all like, help me. Can you fix this? Can you help me here? And then what you do, you go home and you like sit on the bed or like lay down and like you just feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. Like, how am I going to do anything with all these? And I was kind of talking with Mandy with all this. And I was like, I don't think I can just enjoy vacation. I don't think I can enjoy going to see family. Like, what if I leave and, and they need me? What if, like, what if I need to be there to encourage them or to love them? Like, like, I can't leave. And I had this awful internal battle of like leaving and staying and going and seeing family and, and everything. But my, my lovely wife reminded me of one of the most beautiful truths. She said, Chapin, you can't be their savior because there's already been a savior for them. And I think that's a truth that we need to constantly remind ourselves. The moment that we think that that we have to be someone's savior is that that's when they miss their true savior. We have to daily, church, remind ourselves our need of Jesus so that it's fresh on our hearts and on our minds to remind others their need of Jesus. We need to daily remind ourselves that we were wretched, but yet we are made new through Christ. So as we engage our kids, as we engage our wives, as we engage our husbands or co-workers, that as we remind ourselves of the need of a Savior, we can remind them of their need of a Savior. I want to end this morning where we started, Ezekiel 37. I can only imagine how Ezekiel felt in that moment where God told him to prophesy over these dead bones. But, but he did. 
He prophesies over these bones and he's like, God, like, I don't know how you're gonna do it. I don't know what means you're gonna do it. But in God's manifold and beautiful wisdom, he knew. God knew that the Messiah was coming. God knew that Jesus was coming to redeem a people, to make all things new once again. So church, God is not done working. He is inviting you. He is inviting me on mission a mission to reveal his glory among all people. So I just want to encourage you as a church to have confidence in that mission. And if you're here this morning and you, you're debating, you're wrestling, like, do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Just know that there is so much joy waiting for you that's founded in Christ this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you that you are a wise God. That there has never been a time in this history of the universe that you have not been in control. Sometimes we, we may feel it, God, that you're not in control. But Father, we thank you. Because we can rest in your word that you are. Father, I pray that you just give us a heart to be a people who will make you known globally and cosmically. That we see the eternal purpose that you have given us as your church to make you known to all things, to all people. And Father, as we get ready to, to just reflect and sing, allow everything we do to point back to the riches of your wisdom to your glory. We love you. Amen.